Get You Frighter. Welcome back to Are Your Parents Proud of You? Uh, recorded from my backyard. Connor is not with me. She is right now currently sleeping with the fishes, socially distant, of course, and uh, we'll be back very soon. Anyways, really, really exciting guest today. We have Jonathan Goldstein. Now, Jonathan is an actor, director, and musician best known for playing Walter Nichols on Drake and Josh. Now, a couple other things about him you may not know. He directed a few episodes of iCarly. He was a founding member of a theater company called Sacred Fools Theater Company. And he would travel to Kentucky to direct youth theater. We recorded this episode back in July, so some dates and events may have been passed. So just be aware of that. And we also recorded this episode on Zoom. Uh, so here we go. Well, first of all, again, thank you for doing this. And I kind of just, I want to just start out by asking, it's July. How are you holding up again during all of this? Um, you know, um, I'm good, I guess. I mean, so it's, I think it's, you know, it's weird for everybody, you know, not, you know, not being able to go out, not being able to, I mean, it's really weird. Not, I haven't touched anybody. You know, there, you know, I've had, I'm, I'm sort of a huggy guy. I'm, I'm, I'm physical with my close friends. You know, I, I hug and, you know, I hug one, I hug my friends when I see them and not doing that is really awkward and strange. Um, but, uh, you know, doing all right, all things considering. Yeah. Do you, you remember, know? yeah. Do you remember like the moment before the shutdown happened? Like for me, I was in school and then the next day I had to go home. I was going to be teaching in, where was I going? I was going to Warsaw. Oh. I was supposed to go to Poland to teach. And uh, I remember just sit, uh, you know, watching or, you know, watching the, what do you call him? The president? Is that what they call him now? Um, some do. Watch some do, I suppose. Um, you know, when he, it was a Wednesday night and I was supposed to leave Thursday morning or Thursday afternoon. And it was really weird because I had, I, my agents were bugging me because I had this, this teaching trip planned, but I was supposed to go in for an audition for, for the executive producer of a show. And, uh, and so, and I couldn't go in. The audition was like five minutes before my plane was supposed to start boarding or something like that. There was no way of moving it. So I like, had scrambled the day before to do a self tape because my agent was like, no, 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 send the tape in anyway. <laughs> and um, so I was like, I don't know, what the hell. And uh, so then we got canceled, right? The, you know, all, all flights were canceled. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I guess I'm not going to Warsaw. I called up my agent. They were like, go on in. And it was really right. It was on the cusp of the shutdown. So everybody was like, Nobody was social distancing yet because I don't think anybody knew what that meant <laughs> at that moment. You know, it was like five minutes later, we all figured it out. But so every, but everybody was really tentative and cautious. And there was a lot of hand sanitizer around. Um, <laughs> so it was a really like, in some ways, it was, it was a really sort of heady and exciting moment for me sort of personally and professionally because 
It was like, oh my God, am I going on this trip? Am I taking this long airplane? Oh, the consolation prizes, I get to go in for the executive producer and, and do my stuff. And I, you know, went in and I, and I did well. And I think I, booked, I, I sort of unofficially booked it, but, um, but it was already too late because, so like then like two, a couple of days later, I got, I got uh, a call from my agent and they were like, well, the good news is, is that you're, your first choice for this part. The bad news is, is that they're closing production down and, you know, we'll see you. Peace out. <laughs> so and now, who knows? I mean, they, I, maybe they hated me and my agent was just trying to make me feel good, but it, you know, so it was this really, it was all these mixed emotions and then boom, shut down. So does, what's the state of, TV, film, theater looking like now? Are we, are you going to go with more auditions? Are we tentatively going to take it slow? It's, I mean, you know, you're asking, I, I wouldn't say I have, you know, my pulse on the, you know, the heartbeat of Hollywood. <laughs> but, um, but from, you know, as a sort of a journeyman actor who's out there, I just actually the other day, I just did my first um, virtual commercial audition. Wow. So I had to go on an app and sort of, you know, usually when you go in for a commercial audition, you, you know, you go to the waiting room, you sit around, you wait, they call you in and they've got like a camera set up and you do the, the thing and then, you know, they kick you out and you go. And it's, I've, I've never really liked, I mean, I, maybe I shouldn't say this publicly. I hate commercial auditions. I always, no matter what, even if I do a good job, uh, you know, objectively, I always feel like I've been raped as I leave, I just, I, I just feel used mm -hmm. because it's, they, it feels very um, more than like a theatrical audition where you go in and you're doing a scene um, and there seem, there just seems to be more meat to it. It always seems very transactional to me in the commercial world. And I'm just not, I'm not particularly comfortable with that. It doesn't suit my, um, it, it, you know, it, that's a, it's a personal thing. You know, I know commercial actors and they make their bones doing that. They're great. And you see commercials and some of them are really great. It's not a, it's not an opinion on the, the art form. It's just like how it makes me feel when I try to do it. I have great respect for people who can do that kind of thing. Like also like sketch comedy stuff, which it sort of lives in the same pool. I, I can't, I'm, that stuff just makes me crackers. I don't like it. But, but so, um, you know, I, it, it was weird, you know, I set up the, my camera, I have a backdrop and, you know, a place in, in my, in, in my house where it's, you know, it's all set up and, and it just, it was, it, I had the same experience, <laughs> you know, I had like the, all the comforts of home around me and I just felt used afterwards. And the, the woman that auditioned me was lovely. Everything, it was nothing. It's just that same kind of like that afterwards um so that that's consistent <laughs> <laughs> at least one thing doesn't change that's one thing yeah that, that's you know sort of my point of view and stuff but um so that was that was kind of that so that that's starting to ramp up but the funny thing is is that it was supposed to be shooting uh out of town i'm in los angeles and the casting person said uh, are you willing to travel and i kind of begrudgingly was like yeah and she was like don't worry it's not traveling 
<laughs> she was like, off the, off the record, it's probably not going because, you know, because numbers are spiking all over. And this was in a place where this was supposed to be shot in a place that's spiking right now. And she was like, I doubt it. They'll probably, if they're going to do it, they're going to shoot it local. Um, so I think the truth is, I think everything's really up in the air. Nobody really knows what's going on. People are trying to open up. But, you know, then suddenly they try to open up and a bunch of people get sick. And it all boils down to insurance. If you can't get insured, you know, you can't, you can't shoot. Yeah. So um, in, ter in terms of the business side of things. So we'll see. I mean, I've got, you know, I might have some voiceover stuff coming up because that's still doable. Mm -hmm. You know, it's weird. Anybody who says that they know anything right now really is, is pulling your leg. Because there, there's no way to know. We just don't know. Yeah. And, you know, theater for sure is going to take a while. Um, you know, uh, and, and, you know, so we'll see. I mean, the, the big question amongst my contemporaries and my friends is, um, you know, what's going to happen to insurance? Mm -hmm. a, lot of, a lot of professional actors or journeyman actors, folks who are making their bones in the business and... Um, you know, I don't mean, I don't want to get political, but I think it's pretty obvious that healthcare in this country is kind of screwed up. Mm -hmm. And so if you're lucky enough, at it, and it's really hard, I know great actors who, who can't make insurance. And it's, it's, you know, people that have worked that, you know, one year I've lost my insurance at, at times where I didn't make enough money to qualify for, for, you know, my insurance through the union. And now, you know, you need to make a certain amount of dough. It's like, I think the, if you're over 50 or something like that, it, you know, to get the, there are two, there are two tiers of the insurance to get the, the lowest tier. It's something you have to make something like $13,000 a year, which is not too hard. If you're, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're, you know, in the game a little bit, it's still hard. Don't get me wrong. It's really hard to make, make money, but, um, uh, as an actor, but, but, uh, you know, if there are no, if there's no opportunity, you can't, how do you make the money? And, you know, I pull in a lot of money through residuals, none of it from Drake and Josh, but from other stuff. And, uh, you know, that generally keeps me pretty close, but if there's no work, so that or in the community, now that's a big question. Like, are we going to all lose our insurance? And it's not our fault. So everybody's really concerned about that. And especially now when it's like there's a pandemic and I can't go to the doctor. What the hell? So it's really weird. And it's just, I've always said show business is sort of the canary in the coal mine for how screwed up our country is. And we've been having issues in terms of, you know, how money is allocated in the business where all the money goes um, for years. So, yeah, anyway, I'm sorry, did I get too, I was No, that, that was, no, that was a yeah. very honest and a very- We've lost, we've lost the kids, oh no. Well, now we have the adults, so now it's an adult night. Um, that's, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> Who wouldn't want that? Yeah. Uh, so I, I kind of want to shift it at you a little bit to, when you were born, what was it like growing up? So where did you grow up? I was, I was born 
Um, uh, at the turn of the last century in 1900. No, I was born. I was born in. I was born in the 60s, and I was born uh, uh, in the Great Northeast. I'm a Yankee. I um, not not a baseball player, but you know. Um, uh, uh, I was born in New York. Uh, born on the island of Manhattan, and lived in uh, Long Island or on Long Island. I didn't live in it, I suppose, but um, uh, in a little town called Bethpage, and left there and spent a little time in another crazy little place called Roslyn, and then spent really my formative years growing up. But what I consider my hometown is a town called Port Washington, not Port Jefferson. Port Washington, right next to Great Neck. Yeah, I love I love Port Washington. If I could, I would live there. What were you kind of like as a child, and maybe how? how I was you- so cool. <laughs> I was so cool, man. I was like so cool. What was I like? I don't know. I remember my friends remember it differently. You know, I've I've become really uh, not I've become, but I've gotten in in the last several years, last about ten years. Me and some my, you know, friends from school, from you know, element, not elementary, but from junior high and high school, have have gotten back in touch. Some of my, you know, like some I, I'd never lost touch with. But there was when we all started hanging out again. Some of the folks that I was close with when I was little, I was like, what? You know, we were all, like, what do you remember about me? <laughs> and I, my recollection is uh, totally confused and always afraid. That, that from my perspective, I was always really, really confused, kind of afraid, but just like pushed through. And everybody was like, no, you had remarkable confidence and you were real. And I was like, that, that's just not what was going on up here. You know, it's really interesting. You know, people have this point of view of, you know, who you, I was always, I, I'm still fairly confused. So, but, uh, but not nearly as confused as I was as a kid. But I was I was fearless because I think out of the confusion, one of the things was I was like, well, fuck it, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And I was really into theater, and 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 you know, it was a to me it was this wonderful team sport, and it was also really dangerous. It was much more dangerous than football, um, even though because I was scared of pain, but the the fear of getting up in front of people was I found really fascinating. Do you remember that first play you did and how you felt after doing it? First, well, the first official play I did, I was, I was, I think perhaps the youngest Tevya ever. Um, uh, To my knowledge, I was an 11 year old Tevya. Um, I was, I, I had the good fortune of being tall. And I had a fairly deep voice um, as, a, as a little kid. And in my community synagogue, um, they were putting on a production of Fiddler on the Roof. And I had been doing a little bit of, like, I had gotten, and I was singing in the choir, and they had marked me as like a tall kid with a voice. So they brought me in and auditioned. That shocked the hell out of my parents. They had no idea. I think my father... It was either my father, I think it was my dad who picked me up and was waiting. And I was, it was at a, a guy's house. Um, and uh, he, the, he heard somebody like singing, if I were a rich man, 
and it was me, but he had no idea. And then I walked out and he was like, who was that? It's like me. And he was like, what? So they had no idea and, um, and ended up doing that. And it was super duper fun. I loved it. And an older guy who's now a teacher, he, he's, he's, uh, he teaches musical theater here at UCLA. And I got a really wonderful guy named uh, Jeremy Mann. Um, he, uh, he sort of, at the time, I guess he was like 16 or, no, he was like 17, I think, um, or 18. And he sort of took me under his wing. He was like the th one of the theater guys at the high school. And he kind of took me under his wing that summer um, and sort of showed me the ropes. And we, I did community theater. And, and my best friend was also a big theater geek. Uh, and um, and he, was, he was really talented, um, or is really talented. Uh, not and not an actor anymore. Really? He doesn't do. He's he does. He lives in D.C. My buddy uh, Pete and he has a glee, uh, acapella singing groups. They're yeah. fantastic. The Tone Rangers. <laughs> plug to the Tone Rangers. Shout out um, but so I got involved with that. It was it for me. It saved my life. I was a really dumb kid, school wise, with no self esteem, or at least uh, from my point of view. Everybody else thought I had an ego the size of. States. But from my point of view, I was terribly, uh, uh, I was, as I said, confused and scared most of the time. And this gave me, it, it allowed me to start succeeding and feeling comfortable with myself. So it was great. Yeah. I like that, you know, we have there, you are not, afraid, not afraid to show, to be fearless. And yet on the inside, it's like, there's a lot of stuff inside that like that was me in high school and probably yeah. now that like i don't I was, care. yeah yeah you're like too dumb to really know what you're doing yeah you know and and thank god you know because i you know i could i it really taught me how to how to communicate and and be curious and stuff like that um by being sort of being able to sort of hide my fear or not hide my fear, but sort of work through it. Cause you know, you couldn't not go on. Mm -hmm. I mean, shit, they gave you the part. You gotta do You gotta go. And girls are in the audience. And that was truly, I mean, that was half of it too. It was like looking around. It was like, how do I, I can't talk to I, I, you know, girls, God, I love them. How do I talk to them? Oh, theater. Okay, great. There are lots of girls there. And, uh, yeah. And, and being in choir and stuff like that. I think the arts are just so important because they give kids who, who might not be, you know, although, uh, you know, I knew plenty of jocks that were involved with theater too, but for those of us who were not inclined that way, it was great to have that outlet because it's a team sport. And learning, and learning that was, I think being involved in a team sport is really important. In, in development of a kid. Yeah. So, yeah, anyway, whatever. Does that, we, lost, we lost the kids again. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll bring them back soon, I promise. Um, does that fear still live inside of you? Uh, not, to be, not to go that far, but, you know, like even now when I go from like high school, I look back at myself in high school of like how confused and how like, like I was to now, like there's still something in there till this day that I know it's never been. Matter well, I can say this about that, which is um, 
my fears have developed into wonderful neuroses. And, um, and, but the good thing about getting old is you get to a point where you don't give a shit anymore. Like, I, I don't, I don't really, I, I just, it happened a couple of years ago. I really don't care what anybody thinks about me anymore. I'm not really interested in making, I don't want this to come out the wrong way, but I don't, I, I don't need to make friends. I don't care if anybody likes me. I just don't care. What I'm really, I'm more concerned with is my behavior. Like, how do I feel? How do I feel about myself? I mean, was, was I, you know, and I'm, I'm a sort of a, a, you've gotten to know me a little bit. I can be a little bit of, I can be a little blunt and, 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 it's more, I'm more concerned with my behavior. My being nice to people is more, is more of a concern to me. Am I being kind? Do I, you know, when people are with me, do they, uh, you know, do like my work ethic that I had developed through years in the theater that people who know me from years ago might not believe. But my whole thing is that if I show up on a set, my goal is to make it a better day for everyone. However, I can do that if it's, you know, if I make it an easier and better day. So I'm more, you know, I'm more concerned with my behavior in terms of, you know, but what other people think of me, I, you know, I have no control over that anymore. When it was, you know, when I was younger, it was a real concern. And it's, and not to say that it's like, I'm so great. It really did happen. Like one day I was like, I don't you know, I just don't, I don't, I don't care. And it's all, you know, it's, it's, you know, I don't know if I'm tired, if I'm wise, or if I just remain completely as stupid as I was, you know, in the seventh grade. <laughs> but that seems to be where, it, you know, I'm, you know, it's all right. You don't like me? Okay. I mean, sorry. So that, so that, that, that fear thing, I mean, those fears still exist, but they're not, the fire doesn't burn as hot as it used to, which is a huge relief. I'm not, you know, I, you know, I was filled with anxiety as a young man about fear and all that kind of stuff, but I don't, I, I, it just, yeah, it just, through the years, it started to recede into the background. So, you know, I was just talking about this. If I go to a party and I'm not enjoying myself, I'll just leave. I won't, you know, I don't, you know, if I'm not happy or, you know, I'll just go, I'll leave. And I don't know if that's passive aggressive, but I don't think of it that way because it's not like, mm, screw these people. I'm mad at them. I'm, nobody's paying attention to me. I don't really care. You know, so I, I, I think that's a function of age more than anything else. You just get you know, bored with those kind of feelings, I guess. I don't know. Shit, man, I'm just an actor. <laughs> but you have this great wisdom anyway, so I guess you're a little bit of both. Oh, so you say. Yeah, well, the, the paper says. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, how did your parents feel about you doing acting? They were really, they didn't understand it per se, but they loved it. And they were really supportive. They went to one of my teachers when I decided that I wanted to go, that I wanted to pursue it. You know, one of my, my parents went to one of my teachers who was a guy named Jerry Stone, who was the choir director and I guess sort of a, a mentor to me in a way in, in the early days. And, uh, 
who encouraged me to pursue, you know, pursue theater. And they were like, does he really, can he really do this? I mean, they had no idea. They were like, we love him. He's our son. He gets these parts and we think he's great, but we're his parents. And he was nice enough or, you know, to say to them, yeah, he's, there's something there. Let him do it. Thank God. Cause I don't know. I couldn't have done anything else. I could barely read at that point. So, you know, so yeah, they were really, really, really supportive. And, and, uh, and it was always a pot. They were, they were always supportive of that and, you know, allowed me to pursue it without, <coughs> without much trouble. I mean, they, they did expect me to like have jobs and like take care of myself and, we we bumped heads on several occasions over different things that you know they were they did the classic you know make sure you have a job to fall back on which is i understand it but it's a really stupid thing to say to a young actor because it's just going to make them angry you know the i always you know tell parents when they ask about that you know don't you can't say because what you're saying you by saying that you're implying failure like, what are you going to do when you fail? And that's a really shitty thing to say to somebody, to anybody. So rather, you know, flip it on its head and say, you know, and what I say to young actors is find the thing that can support you so you can pursue your dream. It's a subtle difference, but it's not, but it's rather than saying, when you fail, what are you going to do? How about how do you support yourself till you're successful? Yeah, and using that term success I don't I don't like using that term but it, it sort of in the general sense of people understand it the you know once you get working as an actor you know you never want to be you, you don't want to be uh, desperate because if you're desperate it shows up in your work every time almost every time I've been desperate that I can pinpoint in my career where I've looked back at the auditions that I've done when I have been desperate is when I have lost the job you know, and I don't even think about it and haven't for a long time auditions about getting the job. I think about it as opportunity to act, go do it. If you get the job, it's a lucky byproduct. But I have the, when I have been desperate, it's when I have lost the job. When I've gone in thinking, God, I need this job. I got to get this job. If I don't get, you know, not to say that, you know, you don't fantasize about like, you know, having life changing stuff, but every time I've, I've been desperate about stuff, it shows up in the work and I, you know, I don't get a call. I've gone in and auditioned and think I sucked and gotten the job. That's happened, but that's different. That's to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it happens every, it have, every actor has that experience. It's, you know, it's one of those like standard, like if you think you suck, you probably booked. If you think you were good, you probably didn't. It's the same thing as like the surest way to get a job is to book a ticket out of town. That's awesome. So when you finished college, was the idea for you to stay in New York or did you really just want to go to California? No, I stayed in New York. I did a lot of, I, I, uh, after I finished, I went to NYU and after I finished there, I started working with a bunch of friends who started a theater company called the Tiny Mythic Theater Company. And Tiny Mythic uh, worked in Soho mostly and we do I did a lot of I did a lot of stuff with them and it was like deconstructionist theater and all kinds of weird wonderful 
stuff. And I was also in a, uh, also in a band um, that was kind of a staple uh, on uh, on Bleecker Street. We used to play, what the hell's the name of the club again? Uh, uh, famous club, The Bitter End. We used to play The Bitter End all the time. It was a big horn band, sort of like, uh, we were kind of a cross between, I guess, uh, if any of the kids out there are keeping score, we we're kind of a cross between Little Feet and the band, sort of. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, and so I just, I became, and I, I started working in art galleries and became sort of a gallery dude. I used to, you know, hang paintings. and I lived in an art gallery for a while, so I would be like doing, I'd, you know, hanging paintings during the day um doing plays at night and then running off to the bitter end after the play was finished in makeup to do a you know two sets on stage so it was really exciting and dangerous and fun and and uh you know and still you know i was still maintained a certain amount of confusion and fear <laughs> uh chasing girls and you know trying to you know, find my way. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's what happened. I did that for several years. I, I, I started working at a restaurant that a, a friend of mine uh, was working at a college buddy of mine in the, by the, by the early nineties. And he was like, you gotta, there was a big steakhouse a chain of steakhouses, really fancy. And he was, he's, uh, I think he's, he's still there. And he, uh, he called up a bunch of, he was like, you want to make a lot of money? You got to come work for me. You're going to make like a thousand dollars a night. And I was like, really? Never happened. Never happened. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but started working for this at the steakhouse thing. And, uh, you know, was, you know, still doing, you know, theater, and trying to get agents and all that stuff. And um, I know I'm leaving out a lot of details. Which no, this, this is great. But, were you, but, when you were doing theater, what, was there like, um, what were you getting generally cast as? And did you even like that? All kinds of crazy shit, man. I, I, you, know, it, you know, there was, uh, oh God, uh, I played the, the demon in Frankenstein the musical. Oh. Um, so, uh, so I was, I did that to, uh, I did a bunch of plays at La Mama, uh, which is a great theater in New York, uh, and at the Annex and, um, all the while, you know, still playing at CBGB's with the band or the CBGB's gallery or, which is now a John Barbato store, which is really, I can't tell you how screwed up that is. <laughs> um, and, uh, the, the, um, and then, so I was getting cast as all different kinds of, I was played a lawyer to um, the, the thing that, that sort of changed the trajectory of my career was uh, I went and I auditioned for this thing at La Mama. It was a play called Fallen Angel written by a guy named Billy Boski, whose father, Ivan Boski had tanked the stock market back in the day. It was a, he was a sort of a, a villain. Uh, in in the world at the time, he was pre Bernie Madoff, and uh, and uh, 
he had written this musical, he was a musician and a, and a theater guy. And he had had, uh, he got this band together and the band broke up because they got a record deal and everything got screwy. And he wrote this play about that experience. And, um, and they cast me as him. Um, the, the, you know, it wasn't exactly his experience, you know, it was sort of a retelling. And so it was a play about a band that breaks up and, um, I got the job. They said I got the job because I fell asleep in the waiting room <laughs> and they thought that I was so cool. And it was really, honestly, I think I, I'd, I'd been doing, I was up to no good the night before. If you know what I mean. I do know. And I knew I had this audition and I went in and I just, I was exhausted and I just passed out. Um, but, but, uh, you know, uh, so proud of myself, but, um, <laughs> but that play, it ran at La Mama. It had a, a really a full and good, happy run because it was a small theater and it was really intimate, but then people kept on throwing money at the piece and it ended up moving to Chicago. So I went to Chicago and did a stint in Chicago with the play. And it was in this really big, beautiful theater, but this big theater, they kept on throwing money at it. And then it came back to New York as an off-Broadway play. And it was just too much. It was a small piece. And it shouldn't have been as, it, it didn't need the money. I know that's a weird thing to say, but the charm of it was how small it was originally. And the excitement of that in a, of a rock and roll band in a small space. So anyway, that uh, so I ended up with that part, and that got me some attention from some bigger agencies, but none of them signed me. And um, and a friend of mine was an agent at a fancy agency at the time, and she had been hip pocketing me. And I did some regional theater. She'd gotten me some auditions and some gigs with some regional theater. But eventually, my dad called me up after the show finally closed. And he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, get the hell out of here. I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, go, you got, he's like, go, you got to go to LA. He was like, you, you played your cards here. Your hand is dealt, you, you played it out move on, man, go get some jobs. That's where the, that's where the business is. And the funny thing is my dad doesn't know jack shit about the business. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, though he was, he was right. He, I had played my hand, you know, I had become complacent. I had my rock and roll band was sort of this, not really popular, but quasi popular. You know, we weren't going to get famous. I was going to get famous. We weren't that good. Uh, we were interesting and fun. Um, and, uh, but that had sort of played out. I had gone as far as I could theatrically there. And he was like, go get some TV work, man. So my dad kicked me out of New York. And I called up some friends that were living in LA and I said, I'm thinking of coming out. And one thing led to the other and I came out here and immediately started doing theater, <laughs> which was stupid. <laughs> but, uh, you know, fell into with a group of folks and started a theater called um, the Sacred Fools Theater Company, which is still really prolific out here and, uh, and doing extremely well. Um, 
I mean, COVID aside. Um, and yeah. Yeah. And so that, that's what got me out here to LA. I was going to say, you were one of the artistic directors um, for that company. Yeah. I was founding member first artistic uh, on the first artistic committee. We couldn't have an artistic director because we all were so suspicious of each other. <laughs> that you know there were there were like the you know all these different factions uh, and and the theater company didn't end up to be what I wanted it to be. I had a vision. I wanted a very I wanted to make it very much a sort of an actor's company. I wanted it to be sort of like the Steppenwolf model, you know, where you get you know you have a group of actors that are doing everything, and you know I would that but it turned into more of a producer's company. It was. Um, which so which is why I eventually left because it, it just wasn't interesting for me because it was like if I want to audition for shit that's just Hollywood you know I've got an agent I've got a manager I'll uh, that's auditioning I wanted to like be in the dirt with a bunch of actors and you know not worry you know not worrying about get casting in the sense of am I going to get a part but which part am I going to get and and you know, building, building an ensemble. Cause I thought it would be exciting for the audience. You'd see, you'd see Joe or, or Sally as the ingenues in one play. And then the next play they're playing the old people or the bad guy. You know, I wanted it to, I wanted to shock the audience with the, with the uh, actor's prowess rather than like, you know, that's what I thought would be interesting, but nobody listens to me. So, it didn't work out like that. Yeah, here you are on a podcast, you know? Yeah, look at, oh my God, yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, so I think that kind of leads into, you know, the, the role you're most known for, which is Walter Nichols on Drake and Josh. Yeah. Um, so I think you told me, you did, were you interested in playing a TV dad at the time you got the part? Well, I, it's not that I wasn't interested. It's that I, I had no idea that somebody would think that I'd be a TV dad. It was like, really? I, I, you know, I, it just was a shock to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the way it worked out. What are you going to do? Yeah. You um, know, I, and yeah, go ahead. No, I was just curious. I mean, where in your career, when in your career did you get this? And did you, have you, have you done many sitcoms before you got this part? I don't think I'd done any sitcoms. I'd never been on a sitcom. I'd only done at that point, just at like um, like procedurals, I think on TV, like little parts on a bunch of shows, not tons, but a few, and uh, you know enough to where I kind of had a sense of what a set was like. It was still a little, you know, it was still kind of daunting. But um, I, I had, um, you know, they call. I went in. I did an audition in a in a really small little room, and I think it was taped. And then, like a month later, I got the call to go in to see producers. And I went in to you know to Nick in uh, the Nickelodeon office on Bur in Burbank, and uh, you know I was sitting there looking at all the other guys that they'd called in. There were about ten other guys there, and they were all guys that I'd seen. Um, you know, on TV, commercials, whatever, that were all TV dads. I recognized all of them. And then there was me. And I was, 
you know, felt very much like an imposter. And, um, <laughs> and I was like, what the hell am I doing here? And then I, and I was still working at that steakhouse, that restaurant that I told you about. I walk into the room and now here's the thing, you know, I, you know, as you know me personally, I've got long hair and a beard. I do not look like Walter Nichols. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm sort of the poster boy for, you know, hippie guy. Um, I'm not really a hippie. I just kind of look like one. Uh, but cause I don't wear patchouli. I don't like that stuff. But, um, but so at the time I had short hair and clean shape, but usually cause I worked in the steakhouse, but usually I had a beard. Usually I was always sporting a beard. So I walk into the office, they finally call me in, and one of my regulars from the restaurant is sitting there. Oh. And I go, hey, Dan, what the hell are you doing here? And he goes, oh, and I hadn't seen him in a while, and I, I didn't have the beard. He knew me as the guy with the beard and a limp because I'd hurt myself. <laughs> but, and I was walking fine at the time. And he goes, well, Jonathan? And I was like, yeah, the, from Morton's, from the, the waiter. I was like, yeah, Dan, you come in, you eat steak with your wife, Lisa, right? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, well, what are you doing here? And he was like, what am I doing here? What are you doing here? And I was like, well, I, I'm auditioning. I'm an actor. What are you doing here? He's like, oh, it's my show. Huh. So, and so we then we laughed about that because he didn't, he called me in, but he didn't even know who I was. Then I did, and then I did the audition, and we had a good chuckle. We had a fun time, and I left. And then, um, I mean, I, and then I get, you know, I guess a few weeks later, I'm, you know, I had just, I, I had just gotten married, and I was trying to, you know, be serious about life. So I'd started, um, I'd started doing training in my restaurant. I was the corporate trainer, which is just ridiculous. Um, that I was doing that. It was awful. And um, uh, not it was awful. I was awful. And <laughs> But I decided to like, uh, yeah, I, I would take it out on the poor new waiters that I was so miserable with my place in life. <laughs> but, uh, but, but I had decided to do that because I was going to go into management because I'd gotten married and I was going to, you know, I wanted to have money and, and all that crap. And um, I'm sitting in this meeting with my general manager, with my boss, and we're sitting in a meeting, a regional meeting, to teach waiters how to be better waiters. And I forgot to turn my my phone off, and it rings, and I'm like, and the meeting's just about to start, and it's my manager, and I like, I say to my boss, boss, let me just take this real quick, I run out, I tell him, what's up? My manager goes, hey, do you want to be on TV? And I was like, I'm busy now. Of course I want to be on TV. That's the whole point of this. What do you want? And she goes, no, Jonathan, no. Do you, do you want to be on a TV show? Do you, that Nickelodeon show, they, they want you. You want to, you want the job? You want to take it? And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> Got off the phone, ran in, looked my manager square, looked my general, the, my boss at the restaurant, looked him square in the eye and was like, I quit. <laughs> he was like, and he was a really nice guy. He was like, what? And I was like, Gabe, I just, I, I just got a TV show. I'm a regular on a TV show. 
And he was like, you're kidding. And I was like, yeah, I gotta go. I gotta go to my manager's office. And he was like, yeah, get out. He was so cool about it. Cause he wasn't, it wasn't like you made her. He was, yeah, cause he knew he works with a bunch of actors. He was like, get the hell out of here. Um, and it turns out that Dan liked the audition and Dan doesn't do anything unless his wife tells him to. I, and I mean that the best possible way. Um, uh, cause she's super wonderful. And, uh, and so he was showing her the audition tapes and after she, he showed her the audition tapes, as the story goes, this is what they told me. Um, he goes, she goes, uh, he goes to her. So who should I pick? And she was like, that guy. And she, picks me. And he goes, uh-huh. Who do you think that guy is? And she was like, I don't know. Some actor guy. I don't know. And he's like, no, no, no. That's Jonathan. That's our waiter. That's our waiter for Morton's. And she was like, no. I was like, yeah. So I ended up, and, and as Dan told me, he said, they always said that they wanted to do something. They were hoping one day to do something for me. But they, and they did without even knowing it. So they, you know, it, it's a very, it's a really cute little Hollywood story. Yeah. You know, they, they said that they'd help me. They never, they couldn't figure out what to do. And then they ended up helping me without even doing, without even knowing it. So it was cool. That's, and that's it was a great time. It was, it was really a wonderful, wonderful time. And, it was, you know, the boys were so freaking talented and Miranda was so talented, it, it, uh, you know, and, uh, Nancy and I had so much fun and she's amazing too that it was just you know it was a really wonderful experience it was really uh, what was it, like four or five years of, of doing that it was super great that yeah no um and it seems like now the the Walter character kind of sticks with you because Drake and you have been doing this little side project a couple of years ago called uh yeah. where's, where's Walter? Walter um was that where's Walter not Waldo what, we Walter? get sued yeah, what did he just Well that started that with that really started as a joke and because we were kind of bored. Uh, we uh, we were having lunch one day Drake and I had I had, through my teaching I was traveling around a lot and I would have a hashtag where's Walter. Right? And so and Drake knew of that and we were and we had I think we joked around about it some at some point. And um and so he called me up one day, he'd gotten a, a new camera. I hadn't seen him in a while. And we, we don't live too far from each other. And um, so he was like, yeah, let's, let's have lunch. I wanna show you my new camera. So he was showing me the camera, we're yucking it up. And he was, he was like, let's shoot something. He was like, great, what do you wanna shoot? And we started talking about it. We were like, let's do the where's, what is that where's Walter thing? Let's do, wouldn't it be funny if, and we just started riffing on it. And the first episode, we just sort of threw together. I mean, there were, most of them were thrown together. Um, there's only one that's really seriously produced that we spent a lot of time on. That was sort of the culmination. We, we shot like, I think like 18 of them. And each one got more and more complicated and more and more interesting. We kind of went to film school together in a way. Um, uh, but... Uh, it, it was just, it was great fun. And actually that was the year, that was the year I lost my insurance. And it was really funny because we were doing so much work together. I hadn't even, I wasn't keeping my mind to business. 
It was like just working on where's Walter and having fun and not even thinking about it. And then I turned around one day and I was like, oh shit, I lost my life. Oh, damn it. <laughs> oh shit, I should have been making phone calls. What have I done? <laughs> um, but, it, but, but it was still super duper fun and we did it totally under the radar. Nobody knew about it. We didn't ask anybody's permission. I, by, I mean, we could have gotten in so much trouble. But uh, Nickelodeon, I think they were, they, I think they got, uh, they understood. It was not, we weren't trying to make money. You know, we were really just making something that we thought was goofy, good fun, and that fans might like to see. And that was, it was super good fun. Yeah. And we, 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 and then we produced some other stuff together. Um, but he's so busy, you know, with his music that we've been trying to get together to do stuff, you know, before the COVID. And either I was out of town or he was out of town. So we were having a tough time. But, um, and he's a re, you know, he's a good, good director too. Um, and he, he shot most of a lot of the stuff he shot himself. So it was really cool. If you get, I don't think they're up anymore, mm. but um, the, the final episode, which was really the first episode of where's Walter sort of explain it's the origin story. Um, I think it's just funny. And we got everybody involved. Like a lot of people were like, original cast members were like, oh yeah, let's get the band together. <laughs> the, the nerds were on it. Yvette Nicole Brown did a thing. Uh, who else? Nancy, you know, the, the mom, Audrey was, did some stuff. I mean, uh, one of the, one of Drake's many girlfriends on the show. Uh, what's her name? Oh, such a lovely girl. I actually did her show. She was on the show, The Magicians. And I got to, I did an episode of that last year, I guess. Um, but she's a regular on that. I can't remember her name. Oh, and she's so wonderful. Really sweet kid. Oh my God. I remember. I'm awful. Um, we'll do a fact check. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody will, you know, but, uh, but uh, it was super great fun. I, I don't know if Drake has them up on his YouTube channel anymore. But if you can find that episode of Where's Walter, where it really explains it all, where Walter breaks out of uh, Drake and Josh world and finds himself in real Los Angeles, I think it's a, I think it's a cinematic wonder. <laughs> but, and there's also an episode of like Walter getting lost. We went down and shot. We like had a good excuse. We went to Disneyland and, you know, we just, we're, we both love Disneyland. So it was like, let's just, let's just go to Disneyland and shoot Walter, like walking around Disneyland. <laughs> and he's a hobo. He's like become a hobo. He's, <laughs> he's like a homeless guy walking around and he doesn't know what, he has no idea what's going on. <laughs> my, my honest question about Drake and Joss, I, I think it's fascinating. Your character got like, they, you were kind of like the butt of the joke sometimes, like how uh, Megan called you Walter like halfway yeah. through the show, and there's and everyone's like, "Oh, well, Walter, yeah," and you're like, "Why am I? Why should call me Walter? I don't know." <laughs> or yeah. the Bruce Winchell character who we never see. Well, you know, it's funny. The first a lot of times on sitcoms, you know, they write the writer. You gotta be careful around writers, right? Because they'll they'll they will use what's around them, mm -hmm. and. On the first day on set, one of the writers, I don't remember who it was because I'm an old man, 
But um, one of the writers, and all the writers on that show have gone on to do amazing things, like amazing stuff. Um, and they were all really wonderful. And one of them, I wish I could remember which one it was. Shit. But one of them, or a couple of them, they are like, so who, when you were a kid, who was your favorite character when you think of, like, sitcoms? And Barney Fife from, you know, who was kind of always the butt of the joke. <laughs> I grew the day that I said that. But it was great. You know, the, I said, you know, Barney Fife from the Andy Griffith shows. I, I loved, I loved him. And so they kind of, I don't know if that was the whole reason. It could have just been they thought that they thought I was a fool. <laughs> but they, um, but they sort of made Walter this sort of, you know, lovable nincompoop, and uh, and I'm, you know, I loved it. You know, he was just dumb as a rock, but well intentioned. Yeah. Um, you know, like my favorite episode of the show, I think, was when the the boys thought you were cheating on your wife with the affair. Yeah. And it was, uh, I, 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 the first half, I thought, oh my God, he did it. Um, and then. No. I, Walter would never do such a thing. Well, and, and Audrey was hot. Are you kidding? <laughs> I, Are you I, kidding? I was Audrey eight. Was, I on. was eight. Uh, <laughs> I had my suspicions. Um, oh, yeah. No, no, that was, was. As a matter of fact, the actress—what uh, I'm forgetting names—but the actress who played that woman, I did a movie with years later. We were on set. Um, Allison Dunbar, I think her name is, and she's lovely, great. She, we're on set, looking at each other on this other crappy movie I did, and um, we're looking at each other and we're like, "I know you. Where do I know you from?" <laughs> but. Um, yeah, Allison Dunbar, that's her name. She's great. Uh, but uh, it's funny, I keep on saying everybody's great. I should tell you who's, some people are shitty. Like, we, need, we need the truth. Uh, to be honest, I only know one, one person that I would consider an asshole in the business that I've worked, in, work, that I've worked with. Because he, he was such a douche to me. Um, on, on the show, and I'm not going to tell you. Who it was. Yeah, don't tell you the name. But but everybody, everybody else. I mean, honest to God, I've never had, unless it was self-generated, like I screwed up. But I've never had a bad experience in show business. Like every all the people that I've had the good fortune to work with, I don't know what they think of me, but I everybody was super cool. Um, on on sh other shows that I've been on. Um, I'm, I'm kind of curious. Um, so in my research, um, I'm a big fan of the podcast this American life and there's an, and there's someone on the show named Jonathan Goldstein. I'm not sure. Yeah. That douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know him personally. There's another Jonathan Goldstein who's a, a director. Who's um, a, um, a director, a comedy director. He did, what was the last movie he did? He did like, one of the new vacation movies and what else he did a uh, uh, game night, I think was the last movie. He did. Um, and he's a friend of a friend. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a couple of Jonathan Goldstein's out there. Bastards. But anyway, what? 
What was the question? Oh, I was I was just curious if you ever get if you ever get told like did you do that or did you do this just because of the comedy? it's usually it's not the it's it's not the uh, it's not the um, the writer guy it's not the PBS guy that I get it's usually the director like I'll have people say hey Jonathan I heard you directed this movie and I'm like it's not me leave me alone I can't give you a job because you know it's always like could you could could you get my child, you know, a gig on your thing? And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's not me. Leave me alone. I'm an actor. I'm sure he's talking. Although, I've di- I, to be fair, though, I've directed. I directed. I've directed episodes. I directed episodes of iCarly and stuff like that. But, um, but uh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> we just had it confirmed. So you, there's, you were telling us. Uh, I was a student in your in your class, and you were telling us a story about this play you did called "If I Forget." And, oh, and I, I was looking at the theater and uh, I, w- I was still curious about how did you find that play? And that's, that theater's in DC, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So how did you f- come to that play and wanted to work in that company? Uh, so here I am not remembering another name, which is really awful of me, but the casting director for that show had called me in a couple of years earlier for something that was out here in LA and she thought of me. And so she called my management and asked them uh, and asked if I'd be willing to audition for this play at, at studio theater, which is wonderful. It's a really wonderful theater and it's been there. It's got great pedigree. It's been there forever. The guy that directed the play was the associate artistic director at the time. He's now uh, moved to, He's uh, the artistic director of a theater now in Georgia, I think. Uh, so he's no longer there, but it's still a great place. Um, and, um, you know, I did the audition out here. I put myself on tape, sent it to them. And I was, and they were interested. And coincidentally, I was in New York visiting family. And so they were interested in seeing me. And I, I said, well, I'm going to be in New York. If you want to, you know, he took, he took the train up, they booked a studio and I auditioned in New York face to face with the guy. And it was, uh, it was great. It was super fun. And, and it was really interesting because, um, you know, if I forget, um, it's written by Steven Levinson, who's a, a really well-known writer, wonderful, wonderful writer. Um, and he worked, does a lot of TV stuff out here. And he, um, and it, but it's a Jewish play, mm-hmm. you know, it's about a Jewish family. And the director, uh, Matt Torney, is Irish, you know, and full on Irishman. He came over from the old country and he lives here now. And so, you know, it's full on accent, you know, sort of red hair, straight up Irishman. And we're sitting and talking. And I'm like, why, do you, why did you pick this play? Why do you want to do it? And he thought about it for a second and he went, well, it's a good play. And I was like, I'm in. <laughs> you know, you, you, it was like, you, not that I would have turned the job down, but it, to hear, you know, that it was kind of a real good, simple, you know, it's good, it's good. And that was a hard, that was a hard freaking play. Well, you were nominated, right? For a, a Hayes Award, right? Yeah. 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 And I mean, but the show I heard was fantastic, and it was really wonderful. It, 
un, I mean, it was really a, a, an amazing experience because the cast was just phenomenal and, and really, just really great. So it was a wonderful experience. Um, and, but I personally had an awful time. I, was, I had injured my knee the year before so and so I had not really moved for a year. So I gained all this weight. My blood pressure had gone up and I didn't know it. And it was a really emotional play. And I was having terrible problems memorizing. I couldn't, you know, I had a lot of lines, but I'd never, and I've always had trouble memorizing, but it was, I didn't know what was going on. And it wasn't until I think about a week before we opened, I realized, that I had terrible headaches. I was going to the chiropractor every other day. And I did, and this is, you know, to the actors out there, it's really important to, you know, key into your instrument and be aware. I started to take, I, I didn't even, I was so involved, I didn't realize that I was, I was broken. I, as soon as I started taking my blood pressure, blood pressure medication again, everything worked. The pain went away. I had my, my blood pressure had spiked and I didn't even know it. And I was so fat at the time that I was, everything was uncomfortable. And I was also stress eating too. So I was like putting my body through all this stuff and having unbelievable difficulty memorizing. And God bless the, the director, Matt Torney, like he trusted me and I did something that I'd never done before, which was not panic. <laughs> I didn't panic. I just kept my nose down and kept working through it and, and tried as best as I could to stay out of everybody else's way, like not let my mess mess everybody else up. And uh, so I was proud of myself for that, but I, you know, it was, I couldn't believe it. And, it, you know, like I had sabotaged myself without even realizing it, just by not taking my medicine. And once I took the medicine, it was like, a, it was night and day. It was night and day. But, but, the, but, the, but it was such a rewarding experience. And a, if anybody gets it, he's the guy that wrote, uh, he wrote the book for Dear Evan Hansen. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Uh, so he, he's just wonderful. And it's a really intense play. Very, it's, yeah, it's tough. Anyway, but yeah, so I loved it. It was wonderful. Yeah. And, and I love doing theater. Was that the last show you've done or like in theater show at the time? Uh, yeah, that's the last piece of theater I did. Okay. Uh, and I'd like to, you know, I think it's going to be a minute before I get to, but I've been trying to stick to, I've been really trying to stick to movies and try to, uh, and trying to find my way into film work. I really enjoy working with camera. So, uh, but, I, but every couple of years, I, 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 I'm lucky enough, knock wood, where I get to go back to the theater. I love doing theater, but it's really difficult. You know, it's, it's just hard to make a living. And it's hard, like I was toying with the idea of going back to New York and, and trying to push my way back into the theater there. And it's just, you know, it's very, it's very competitive. It's really hard. 
Well, speaking of theater, um, I found out that you traveled to Bowling Green, Kentucky. Yeah. And, <laughs> How did you find out about that? Uh, just Wikipedia. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. you direct uh, youth theater. Uh, yeah. When have you always been doing that, or have you always wanted to direct uh, youth theater? When did that even happen? I did it for, did it for a couple of years, and uh, it was fun. It was weird. You know, um, it was really, it was really, it was really, I didn't know it was political. Oh. And, uh, and I didn't know that I was supposed to do certain things that I, I didn't do, you know, and I was kind of disillusioned about that. But the theater itself was really wonderful. And, uh, and theater and children's theater is, um, you know, kids are great. You know, it's usually the adults that fuck them up. But, you know, was it weird? Like, you know, you did Romeo and Juliet, Pride and Prejudice, The Crucible. These, were these like difficult plays to teach the children? I mean, how old were the, the kids? No, kids know that shit. Okay, kids know. Kids are smarter than adults usually. They're smarter than me for sure. Um, the 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 hardest one was The Crucible because <clears throat> by that year, a lot of the kids that I had been working with had aged out. But there were no, but there, the community hadn't, there was no replacements. We should not have been doing the crucible. So we had to, so, and I didn't even have enough kids to do crucible. So we had to ask some kids that had already aged out to come back and they did a great job. It ended up being a really good, pre- I, I thought each production was, was really good. I mean, and, and it had less to do with me and more to do with just how great the kids were. And I was pissed off by that one anyway, because all the politics had come to a head by that last year that I was there. Shit that I did not understand. So I was angry while I was doing that show too. But it was, but they, I think they were, they were done with the Jew liberal from the North. They, they were done with me. <laughs> I can't fault them for it, but, um, but the kids were all really, really, really good to the person. They all, you know, they, they, they all really gave it their, their best shot and it showed. And some of them have gone on to do theater, you know, and are studying and, and all that. So that's a point of pride for me. That's cool. um, yeah, and, and yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I don't know that I'd do that again. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know that I wouldn't. Um, they were nice enough. The community was nice enough to make me a Kentucky Colonel. Oh, so I'm a Colonel. Yeah. Just like just like Colonel Sanders is a Colonel. My hats off to you. Um, well, how how old were the kids? Were they like high school or middle school? Yeah. Yeah. High school age. Okay. Because uh, I'm curious. Because now. I like. I should probably say I know you because you were an acting teacher for me for the last few weeks, and going to continue that. Mm-hmm. Um, have, when did teaching become a thing, or have you always wanted to be a teacher? If I never wanted to be a teacher, because <laughs> all the examples I had of teachers, um, I don't know if I should say this. I'm kind of for, for, a, for a guy for a guy with loose morals. I'm a kind of a moral guy. Oh. Um. And that was not early on, but later on in life. And I found 
there were very few teachers I had when I was coming up that I actually respected. I found them all to be hypocrites and and mostly hip, hypocritical, mostly cruel, um, and um, and never explained themselves to me, and that really pissed me off. I had one or two that were really remarkably good. One of which was um, Bill Macy, William H Macy, mm-hmm. who I thought was the real stand-up guy, and was very was really clear about what he knew. But what I really loved was that he was clear about what he didn't know. And he was, it was always a practical and pragmatic application that really inspired me. He's on a very short list of teachers that I respected. So for me, being a teacher was not something I wanted to do. But people kept on asking me to do it through the years. I didn't quite understand why, but they did. And then I started dabbling in it, I guess about 15 years ago or so. And was having some, you know, doing it with some friends and things like that. It was, I started finding my way. And then because of Drake and Josh, um, and after that ended, I had gotten involved with some folk who um, who did were doing these sort of acting programs around the world where you could come in, sort of do a boot camp, and then audition for agents and managers. So I started doing that, and that, and and going out and doing that and talking about that started to really. I started to collect my thoughts because they like throw me in a room and say like you're going to audition these kids. And then when they come back after they pass the audition, you have to talk to them about the program and all that. And I didn't even know what the program was at first. So what I started doing was putting my ideas together, the things that I had learned and that it helped me. And I started really collecting my thoughts on that. This is years ago. So then I started to really come up with, and then starting to teach with, with these folks and, and and sort of refining it in these re, in an awful circumstance because it's really hard to teach acting in short spurts you know, um, like that. So I started, yeah, yeah. So I started doing it that way, and now because of the age of COVID, I I always have dabbled with the idea of opening up a room here in LA and starting to teach here and have a regular scene study class. The problem is, is that I'm, I'm, I'm um, remarkably lazy. So, and also not very good at self-promotion. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> it's always come, it's always sort of fallen to me. Mm-hmm. And so uh, um, to do it, and I, I don't want to. And so when I do teach, it's usually because it's fallen into my lap. And now that I've got literally nothing to do, um, you know, I had this opportunity with one of your, classmates and I he wanted to get some coaching uh, and I said well I think one-on-one is okay if there's a specific thing that you're auditioning for but in terms of study and practice it'd be better if we got a room together you know if we got a, some other like-minded folk together and I could run the room and because I think it's really important I, I, I don't want to this isn't an acting 
class, but I think it's important for a young actor, or any actor for that matter. Mm. It's about not, it's, it's about really, you've got to, you've got to work the idea of what acting is. Mm. You can't just sit by and say, I'm an actor and wait for the phone to ring. You get rusty and then you lose your mojo. And the idea is to, like we've talked about in class, it's to practice. It is a practice. It's like, you know, a lawyer practices law, right? An actor practices acting. I think it's the It's important to think about it that way. And that, and that when you get together with like-minded folk, your critique of your fellow actor is as important as your own performance because as you, because it makes you organize your thoughts and you have to be clean and specific in your critique. And, and that allows you to, as an actor, hone your skills in terms of what do you see? And that helps you when you're in the moment doing a scene with somebody. You're not worried about what they're thinking. You're worried about what you see on their face and how you react to that. So that, that's excited me. That has excited me and, and, and as a, as a quote unquote teacher, as you know, I always said, I more consider myself, I'm more comfortable with the idea of being a coach than a teacher. Um, I think actors will learn the most from each other and from themselves. They'll be coached and maybe inspired by somebody else, but that ain't teaching. You know, I'm not going to teach you like, I got, I, there's no like secret sauce. You, know, you have to discover that. And just two things about my experience with having you as a coach. First oh, of all, no, <laughs> it's, it's, I was, the, the one thing that finally made sense to me because, you know, we, it was only five of us, about five students in the class. And the one thing I kept trying not to tell myself, and I think we talked about this early on, was trying not to let, trying not to beat myself up over a crappy self-tape or a monologue not living up to the expectations. And I think I remember you saying like, you guys are, it was like the last class, and you said, you guys are good. I'm not trying, I'm, I'm only, I'm not saying you're bad actors. I'm trying to improve and tighten everything. And finally, that made sense to me of like, okay, he, do, he knows I'm not bad at this. I'm just trying to be even better than I am right now. And that finally... You can't, you can't if, you're, if you're going into this thing, because you'll find that when you go onto a set, um, if you get that professional job for the first time, it's so terribly intimidating. And not because people are mean. Quite the contrary. They're usually really accommodating. Um, but everybody's really busy and doing their thing. So nobody really has time to hold your hand. Um, so that can be really intimidating. So it's a, so the more you have to have the habit of good work. So when, when you're under stress, the work still stands, right? So, um, if you start from the place, uh, and I actually learned this, I studied um, in Japan with this guy, Tadashi Suzuki, and he does the Suzuki technique, which is, if any, any of you actors out there might know about it, it's stomping. <laughs> you know, you stomp into the ground. But one thing that Suzuki said uh, was that uh, um, 
if you say you're an actor, I, I believe you. And I, as a teacher, I'm not here to tell you that you are or you aren't anything. If you say you're an actor, you're an actor. It's like, you know how you become a writer? You write every day. Then you're a writer. If you get paid for it, that's a different question, right? If you get published, that's a different thing. But if you are writing every day, you are a writer. If you apply yourself to the craft, that is what you do. So, and worrying about being good or bad as an actor, oh, it's death. Because, you know, you know this, that when you're involved in the thing, when you're in the endeavor of acting, the moment you start thinking about yourself, you become self-conscious, and then you most certainly do suck, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're worried about being good, you're worried about the wrong thing. Yeah. And it's the same thing if you just pull back a little bit, if you're worried about, oh, my God, am I good or not? Now, that's not to say that in your heart of hearts, you, you're not insecure. Insecurity doesn't like fly out the window. But you've got to like train yourself to be like fearless and go for it. So if you're thinking, oh my God, oh my God, I'm bad. I've been there, I, you know, I still go there. But it's not, it, it's not productive and it's not helpful to you as an artist, you know, it, when you're applying yourself to the craft, right? Yeah. So yeah, you're 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 as good as you think you are, and once again, that's it's arbitrary. And who fucking knows? Mm -hmm. You know, one person thinks that you know. One person thinks that you're the greatest actor in the in the world, and another person will think that you're just crap. It's opinion. There's no you know, so worrying about that is is pointless. Yeah, you know. No, it was. And I'm, and part of me gets a little upset at the fact that it took me till the final of the four classes to finally get that in my head. Dude. Um, I know I have time and I know I can get more at it, but you know, you, you, you learn lessons and you relearn lessons. Yeah. You know, if that's what you came away from those four classes with Bravo, you know, it's not, it's not about, it's only, you know, you, you're only going to get what you give in life, right? Excuse me. You're only going to get what you give. So you've got to, you know, if you apply yourself, you'll find, you know, you will discover new things. Yeah. And one thing that is super profound to you today might be pedestrian tomorrow. You know? So good. Keep it up. Yeah. No, and, I, and we're going to keep doing, I'm going to do yeah. more classes. So uh, if you want to promote your class. Uh, yeah, if you want to, well, it, you know, uh, yeah. If people want to take the class, get involved, get in touch with Matt. <laughs> and, Matt and Matt will then get in touch with me and, uh, and put us together. Yeah, for sure. Well, before we go, uh, we're going to do this game. I'm miserable. <laughs> you're gonna love it uh it's called time for two and i'm gonna give you two minutes on the clock and it's a series of random icebreaker questions oh, God. Okay. i i think you're gonna be great okay all right you ready no not really but okay go, ahead. go before you're ready here we go okay three two one go what is in your fridge right now uh eggs mushroom uh, mushrooms cheese 
uh, almond milk, uh, uh, I've got a yellow pepper and a green pepper, um, I've got uh, some tilapia, water, uh, uh, some moonshine, and uh, uh, what the hell else is in there? I think uh, half a potato. Um, uh, 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 did I say cheese? I think I've got, yeah. Uh, um, what else? Oh, and some dog food. Oh, there we go. Uh, what chore do you absolutely hate doing? What chore do I absolutely hate doing? Yep. Picking up dog shit. Now, you know, that's not true. I don't think that that's true. That just sounds good. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, morning or night person? Yes. Left Twix or right Twix? I don't know what that means. Uh, which is your favorite side? Oh, the candy bar. Yeah, the candy bar. I don't know. What's, what's the difference? One has to be better than the other. Is that so? I, I think so. <laughs> I, I, it's a mood thing for me. Okay. Uh, have you ever kicked down a door? Probably. <laughs> Do you know how to tie a bow tie? Yes. Do you make your bed every day? No, not every day. Um, Usually, but not every day. Earth, wind, or fire? Earth, wind, or fire. Uh, I don't know why, but I'm feeling wind right now. There you go. And that's, and that's how we play. <laughs> wow. Well, that was, that was really tremendous. Yeah. <laughs> it really, it took great. What effort. do I get? Do I get anything? Uh, you get to see me soon. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. You. You get. You get one final question. Okay. Jonathan, are your parents proud of you? Uh, I, I think so. I think. Yeah. So. I think they are. Awesome. So, yeah. Awesome. And well. Thank you again from the bottom well, of my heart. <laughs> well, I know it's a great transition. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for doing this this was this was a lot of fun and you know it's gonna it was I, my pleasure yeah it was my pleasure it's always good chat and we're back back in my backyard uh my thanks to jonathan goldstein for taking some time to talk with me um what a guy he's so interesting to talk to and um one of the coolest and nicest um people i ever get to meet um, and if you want to take his class, email us at parentsproudpodcast at gmail.com and we'll let you know how you can do so. So this episode will not be um, completed, of course, without the Brickmeister, Griffin McCorgle. I say he's a Brickmeister because there are a few bricks uh, currently outside my backyard. I don't know why we actually have those bricks. I should go find my father. I can't find my father. I'm going to go find him. But anyways, uh, you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at Parents Proud Podcast. Uh, Connor will be back very, very soon. And we have a special episode coming up um, in the coming weeks. So that's all I can say. I wanted to say more, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on that for now. And that is it. I'm Matt Schufreiter. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you very soon. Bye.